Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and yes, this is the Stone Zone. Now, if you're used to seeing us at 5 o'clock Eastern, well, we're going to be here at LFA every day at 8 p.m. Eastern. This is our new home, and we're going to be talking politics, news, history, style, and, well, whatever you want to talk about as well. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you know the big news of the day uh, is Jeffrey Epstein. The courts have finally released a trove of information from one of the Epstein litigations. Now, not everybody is exactly sure what it is that has been released, how much of it is new, how much of it is old, how much of it is information that we had previously. Uh, a little unclear to some folks whether this is a list of Epstein associates or whether this is a list of Epstein victims or whether this is a, a list of Epstein uh, co-conspirators. Uh, here is the uh, take of my good friend Dom Lucra, investigative journalist. I, I like this. I took it off of his feed on X, formerly known as Twitter. Here's a recap, he writes, of the Jerry, Jeffrey Epstein files released. Everyone was expecting to see names like Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Tom Hanks, Chrissy Teigen, Jimmy Kimmel, and many other prominent figures in the recent drop, but that is what they wanted you to think. Uh, this is so. The release uh, takes credibility away from the citizens that are demanding transparency and to give people a false sense uh, that they are actually presenting information regarding Jeffrey Epstein's client list. Don't allow the media or those corrupt politicians to trick you into believing uh, that uh, there were only 30 victims. Jeffrey Epstein's blackmail honeypot operation went on for over a decade with over 30 verified victims. Why did they decide to only show us that what one victim had to say during one month in 2015. The media benefits from people believing that this was the official client list. It wasn't. If people think this is the list, the elites that should be prosecuted will escape accountability yet again. My friend Dom Lucrid says, release the official Jeffrey Epstein client list. Uh, I could not agree more. Uh, I was one of the first public figures in the country to write about Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, in my 2015 book, The Clinton's War on Women, uh, the longest chapter in the book, chapter seven, is entitled uh, Orgy Island. Uh, but before me uh, was an investigative journalist uh, of enormous courage, uh, and, and that is Nick Bryant. Nick Bryant began uh, his work on the Epstein story back in 2021, when he acquired Jeffrey Epstein's Little Black Book. Uh, this was seven years before the case broke nationally. Uh, Nick Bryant joins us now to talk about the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Well, it's good to be with you, Roger. And thanks for the buildup. 
And actually, I was digging into Epstein in 2012, and uh, seven years before the case broke, and then I was able to put his black book up on the internet in 2015. I approached a number of publishers with the black book, and they wanted nothing to do with it. And finally, Gawker was willing to put the, the uh, black book up on the internet. And it's kind of ironic that Gawker is considered to be the bad, were, were considered, before they were sued into oblivion, were considered to be the bad boys in the media. And you have all these publications that I approached that are ostensibly draped in ethics and courage and liberty, and not one of them would touch the black book. Uh, you have really done extraordinary work. Uh, I cite your work uh, on Gawker uh, uh, in the notes of my book, giving credit where credit is due. I think there's been a, a, a willful effort to uh, obscure specifically the relationship between Bill and Hillary Clinton uh, and Jeffrey Epstein. Part of that has been a repeated drumbeat of claims uh, that Donald Trump uh, and Jeffrey Epstein were far closer than the proof indicates. If anything, uh, I think there's a measure of exoneration uh, in these new releases. Uh, it, we've had the FAA records regarding Jeffrey Epstein's private plane, the Lolita Express, for a long time. Uh, that Trump and Epstein knew each other uh, is not in dispute. Uh, that they occasionally were at the same social functions is not in dispute. But Donald Trump never visited Epstein Island. Donald Trump was never on Epstein's plane. Uh, Donald Trump and his wife, Marla, and their daughter, Tiffany, were on Epstein's plane uh, on two occasions, once going from New York to Palm Beach and then going from Palm Beach back to New York. That, of course, proves nothing. Uh, it is, uh, uh, however, there has been an ongoing campaign of distraction, uh, and uh, as you know, uh, the attorney who represented Virginia Giuffre, uh, actually now Roberts, uh, said specifically, uh, President Trump is the only who person who, in 2009, when I served a lot of subpoenas on behalf of Epstein's victims on a lot of people, to some very connected people, and I wanted to talk to them, he, meaning Trump, is the only person who picked up the phone and said, well, let's just talk. I'll give you as much time as you want, tell you what you need to know. He was very helpful in the information uh, that he gave and gave no information whatsoever that he was involved in anything untoward whatsoever, uh, but had good information that checked out and that helped us enormously. We didn't even have to take a deposition from him. That is a direct quote from uh, Bradley Edwards, the attorney who represented Virginia Giuffre. So, uh, Nick, why do you think the, the government media establishment has gone to these great lengths to, to cover up the truth about Jeffrey Epstein and to conceal uh, both uh, uh, the list of his co-conspirators or others who may have been involved in child sex trafficking? Well, it's pretty obvious. I wrote a book uh, called The Franklin Scandal, which Roger knows quite a bit about, about an interstate trafficking network that was tied to intelligence. And it also, it was like a honey pot, it was uh, a honey trap. It was very much like Epstein, uh, almost a carbon copy of Epstein. And it was covered up by state and federal authorities. And there's a couple of reasons why. 
this has been covered up at all costs. Uh, first of all, the perpetrators are big shots and they don't want to go down and they've got a lot of friends. And secondly, the government is involved. There's a, a dark malignant corner of our intelligence that is aiding and abetting child trafficking. When you cover up a crime, you're aiding and abetting that crime. So obviously the Department of Justice and the FBI are aiding and abetting child trafficking. Our, our Department of Justice and our FBI, it's hard to believe um, and it causes a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance, but it is the fact. I mean, if it wasn't the fact, there'd be a lot of people sitting in jail right now. Well, I mean, the Epstein story is a very twisted one. The Palm Beach County Police Chief, Michael Ryder, insisted that he gave the Palm Beach State's Attorney enough evidence from a six-month undercover investigation to charge Jeffrey Epstein with 35 incidents of child sex trafficking and multiple counts of rape of a minor. Chief Ryder was shocked when the state's attorney filed a sweetheart plea deal with Epstein's high-priced lawyers, including Roy Black, Gerald Lefcourt, Alan Dershowitz, and former U.S. solicitor Ken Starr, uh, that was essentially a slap on the wrist. Uh, the slap on the wrist uh, was uh, immediately followed by the resignation of the state's attorney, who then opened a private law firm and began representing certain Epstein associates uh, at very high legal fees, uh, I might add. Now, uh, it is important to note that when Chief Ryder uh, was upset about the state's attorney's efforts to basically borrow, uh, bury the fruits of his investigation into Epstein, he went to the Miami-based U.S. attorney, uh, Alberto Acosta, uh, and Acosta conducted his own investigation, rubber-stamped the findings of the state's attorney, and sought to seal the entire matter. Uh, if it weren't for your work and the work of the Palm Beach Post, who went to court to uncover a lot of the records, we would know very little about this. Uh, I think it's important to point out uh, that uh, Trump broke with Epstein prior to Epstein's prosecution in Florida. Uh, Epstein should have gone down for sex trafficking. He didn't. Instead, he was allowed to plead to one count of solicitation, a shocking plea deal in which uh, he's got a 15-month sentence. Uh, actually, I think it was an 18-month sentence of which he actually served 15 months. Uh, but, 13 months. Uh, you, I will defer to you as the expert. But uh, in Florida, uh, sex criminals go into the state penitentiary system, but not Jeffrey Epstein. He was allowed to serve his sentence in the air-conditioned Palm Beach County Jail, where he was only required actually to be incarcerated uh, from uh, uh, 6 a.m., uh, pardon me, from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. every morning. Otherwise, he was allowed to do his business, go to his mansion, and so on. The Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office uh, operated more like Epstein's personal security detail, transporting Tim to his various business activities uh, and so on. Now, here's what I find most interesting. Uh, when Acosta, the U.S. attorney who basically rubber-stamped uh, the sweetheart deal in Florida of Jeffrey Epstein, was appointed uh, U.S. Secretary of Labor uh, in the preparation for his confirmation hearings when he was asked, well, what are you going to say if some senator asks you 
about your decision and the disposition of the Epstein case, Acosta said, well, I'm going to tell them the truth, that the Department of Justice told me that he was a CIA asset uh, and that the matter had to be sealed. Uh, there, I think you have it. So I believe, uh, and as you know, we both had a source, Steve Hoffenberg, rest his soul, who insisted that Epstein was essentially uh, a, a, uh, a blackmailer for hire who probably worked for U.S. intelligence agencies, as well as perhaps the Saudis, the Israelis, uh, and many others. Uh, what is your feeling in this area? Epstein, people say that Epstein was Mossad, and, I, and it's possible that Epstein did work with Mossad, but he was definitely intelligence, and that's why Alexander Acosta was told to back down because Epstein was intelligence. And it's amazing how the CIA can quash a case because constitutionally, there's only two people that can tell a US attorney to stand down. One is the president and one is the attorney general. They get those That can be delivered by his minions. Uh, the minions can tell the US attorney to stand down. So what we have with the Epstein case is strings being pulled at the apex of power. and. He had a, a very solid relationship with Ahud Barak, and I believe that Epstein provided girls to Ahud Barak. And Ahud Barak is circled in Epstein's black book. And Epstein might have had a relationship with the Mossad, but the thing is, there's no way that the CIA is going to let uh, people in the Mossad compromise American politicians on American soil and not get a cut of that intelligence. So you're right. I think that he was probably working for uh, multiple or at least two intelligence agencies and perhaps societies, too. Uh, you brought my attention to uh, a website uh, that uh, I thought was uh, extraordinarily well done. Let me uh, see if I can pull this up. Uh, this, folks, and I urge you to go to it, is at EpsteinJustice.com. Uh, and uh, let, let me read it because I agree heartily with it. And we can get it up on the screen here and make it a little uh, easier. This one. There we go. No. Bear with us, folks. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, we are technologically challenged here, folks, but just bear with us. It will be well worth it. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein trafficked underage girls for 25 years. He's the most prolific American child sex trafficker ever acknowledged by law enforcement. But by not indicting Epstein's co-conspirators, our government is aided and abetting child sex trafficking. A government that aids and abets child sex trafficking has woefully failed its citizens. As a country dedicated to children's safety, we must take a stand and pressure the government to bring Epstein procurers and perpetrators to justice. We cannot send a message to the world that the perpetrators in America who have wealth and power uh, can molest our children with impunity. And if we allow the Justice Department to be apathetic and unresponsive to victims in a proven trafficking case, that sends a message to millions of victims that they have no voice and no hope for justice. Victims in the United States and around the world need to see that Epstein's cohort of molesters and pimps are brought to justice. The Justice Department under four presidential administrations, George W. Bush, 
Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden has failed to indict the perpetrators and procurers in Epstein's pedophile network. Epstein justice is not about politics. It's about the protection of our children. As Americans, we need to know why four presidential administrations and their justice departments have covered up the crimes of Jeffrey Epstein and his cadre of co-conspirators. The media has sanitized the Epstein trafficking network by ostensibly determining that the youngest Epstein victims were 14 years old, even though multiple accounts state that they were as young as 11 or 12. A Sheer Post article published in August of 2021, uh, the Jeffrey Epstein cover-up, Pedophilia, Lies, and Videotape, demonstrates that federal law enforcement has brazenly ignored indicting the perpetrators and pimps in the Epstein network. Since Epstein's death, the Justice Department and FBI have only indicted one of the perps, Ghislaine Maxwell. Epstein's victims have courageously sought justice through civil litigation, but they must demand justice uh, uh, for all of his victims. You can help. Americans of all stripes need to unite and remedy this crucial violation of our societal laws and mores. Our apathy only reinforces our government's pathological behavior. Our goal is to help organize Americans and MAS to rectify this grave injustice with peace, non-political, partisan, non-partisan demonstrations, and to compel our legislators to establish a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, please contact EpsteinJustice.com. That's EpsteinJustice.com. If you want to be part of the solution and the march, towards justice for Jeffrey Epstein's victims. According to the Centers for Disease Control, 25% of underage girls and 7% of underage boys in the U.S. have been molested, which translates into more than 40 million women and 12 million men. The Democratic Party has about 60 million registered members. The Republican Party has about 55 million registered members. Survivors uh, and their supporters could easily be the largest political force in America. It's time for survivors to unite, exercise their power, and become part of a movement that seeks long overdue justice. Uh, you can sign our petition that is supported by seven of Jeffrey Epstein's victims, 40 anti-trafficking and anti-exploitation organizations, and thousands of concerned citizens demanding that the procurers and perpetrators in the Epstein trafficking network be brought to justice. As Dr. Martin Luther King said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Folks, please go to EpsteinJustice.com, EpsteinJustice.com, sign this petition. Nick, I really appreciate your bringing this to uh, my attention. Uh, tell me about it and tell me what you think the odds are of ultimately getting justice in the Jeffrey Epstein matter. I've written about child trafficking for 21 years and researched it for 21 years. And what, and I, the book, The Franklin Scandal, the, the government just quashed uh, an investigation into a child trafficking network. And it was a huge network. Actually, I think that network was bigger than Jeffrey Epstein's, but Jeffrey Epstein's network was around for about 25 years, whereas the Franklin network was around for 10 to 12 years. But then I saw it again with Epstein, and, and because I write in this area, people approach me all the time and tell me about a, 
grave abuses in in by law enforcement when it when it comes to the protection of children. So I saw that no one was putting together an organization. I th I really thought that Me Too would jump on the Jeffrey Epstein story, but the Me Too did not. And I looked around and no one was doing it. And finally I said, well, you know, if no one's going to do it, I have to do it because I'm so committed to this issue. Children should not be molested with impunity. And our government aiding and abetting child trafficking is just malignant. I mean, we wouldn't trust an individual or an entity that's aiding and abetting child trafficking. So how can we begin to trust our government? Because it's aiding and abetting the most heinous of crimes. And Epstein Justice came together. And there were a number of people that wanted to be part of it. Uh, we've got a stellar advisory board of some major heavyweights um, in the anti-trafficking movement. And our staff is very, very committed. And this will work if the American people want it to work. It has to, this message has to get out to more people. And we we're getting contacted quite a bit right now, but we need more people. I think that at this point, our government has become a cesspool. The congressional approval rating is 17%. So it's very obvious that our legislators are not serving the American people. And I really think, in addition to making sure that child molesters go to prison, I think if we drilled into this issue, we would come across the cesspool that has become our government. The reason why our legislators have a 17% approval rating and they don't care about us. They enact laws that trample on our constitutional rights. They enact laws that uh, are causing tremendous wealth polarization. Um, families with children are the fastest growing segment of the homeless population. So we need to clean out our government. And I believe that if we drill into this issue, that will be a good start. You know, I've been, as you know, uh, in the American political arena for 45 years. Now, some people may think incorrectly that I'm just a knee-jerk partisan, but that is not the case. Now, it's true that I have a sentimental attachment to the Republican Party of Abraham Lincoln and Dwight Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, and yes, Donald Trump. But in reality, there's only one party. It is the Uniparty. Uh, it is the Establishment Party. It's the party of uh, the status quo. Uh, the 2016 election was supposed to be a status quo election. Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton. Heads I win, tails you lose. Their policies are essentially, uh, despite some rhetoric to the contrary, identical. Endless foreign war, uh, the erosion of our civil liberties, uh, massive spending and debt, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the surveillance by the police state uh, of the average American citizen. Uh, I really believe the fight today is not between Republicans and Democrats, not between liberals and conservatives. Uh, but I, I yes, I put a I put a, a a Christian view on it. I think it is between good and evil. It's between dark and light. 
It's a struggle between the godly uh, and the godless. Uh, it, the idea, and the Bible speaks of the heinous crime of harming children, uh, yet we have no move towards evidence. We've seen Dick Durbin, uh, chairman of a, a Senate committee, uh, seeking to fight the release of records like these that we have just seen. Uh, try to help people understand, Nick, what is it that was released late yesterday? Because uh, I think the media is all over the place with this. Uh, some people think it is a list of co-conspirators. That doesn't appear to be true, nor certainly is it is a list of uh, of clients. What exactly is it that we saw yesterday, and how much of it have you seen previously? Uh, we knew most of that. It was, it was much ado about nothing. Unfortunately, the media likes to hype things up, but I went through those documents today. Actually, I spent uh, a good portion of my day going through those documents, and there were very few things that I saw that I hadn't seen before. There were very few names that I came across that I hadn't come across before. Um, so I don't believe that this, and, and, and here's the other thing with that. Even if they release names, if the government isn't going to do anything to these perpetrators, I mean, why, why bother? I mean, the thing about Epstein is the media has been using Epstein for salacious dirt and, and to sell broadcasting or to, to sell advertisement. There's no, I've never seen anyone in the media call for justice with, with Jeffrey Epstein and all his victims. Because he was active for 25 years, and he was towards the end of his life, he was molesting three minors a day, and then he was pandering them. So there's hundreds of girls out there that are, that are now women that were molested as minors by Jeffrey Epstein. And also, there's the cover story that 14 years old was the youngest. And I come across a couple of therapists who have have clients that were under 10 years old and they approached the Epstein compensation fund and they were denied. And it's interesting, the Epstein compensation fund, um, 225 women applied for it and 75 were turned down. And what's really heinous about that fund is if you sign your name and we don't even know the machinations that go into who gets money and who doesn't get money and how much money they get and how much money they don't. That's all been clandestine. And we can thank David Boyce for that. David Boyce is one of the architects of the Epstein Victims Compensation Fund. So what we have is this, and that's become very corrupt because if you take money from the Epstein Victims Compensation Fund, you cannot sue anybody else. That's it. You're done, game over. So the Epstein Victims Compensation Fund is accomplishing something that the government can't, shutting up these victims. The whole thing is perfidious and stinks. Uh, as you know, uh, I wrote about this extensively in my book, The Clinton's War on Women. Uh, Will, let's show folks where they can buy that book. There you have the book cover. You can go to EpsteinTruthBook.com. Uh, there's a number of things that I learned, uh, among others, uh, that uh, it was Jeffrey Epstein who provided the seed capital 
for the Clinton Foundation, later renamed the Clinton Global Initiative. Uh, it was also the, the Clinton Global Initiative that provided 100% of the funding for the Terra Mar Foundation, which was a, a, a nonprofit controlled by Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, which was uh, allegedly uh, designed to work on environmental projects, but actually constituted a grooming pool of young female interns uh, who would become Jeffrey Epstein's future victims. Uh, unlike uh, the Clintons, Donald Trump cut Epstein off after he heard about inappropriate advance Epstein had made towards a young woman who was working at the spa at Mar-a-Lago. The Clintons, on the other hand, continued to socialize and fundraise off of Jeffrey Epstein after his state conviction. The Clinton Foundation actually took a donation from Epstein after he had been served with a plausible cause affidavit filed on him by the Palm Beach police in May of 2006. So just to be clear on this point, Jeffrey Epstein uh, Island uh, is well known. Donald Trump was never on his island. Donald Trump never visited his New York home. Uh, New York, uh, Donald Trump never flew on his plane. While we're at it, let me point out that there are crazy people on the internet who insist that I was seen on Epstein's island. You could tell it was stone because he was bare chested and you could see his Nixon tattoo and he was wearing a bull mask. This is uh, BS. It is categorically false. Uh, like Donald Trump, I was never on his plane, never on his island, actually had no interaction with Jeffrey Epstein whatsoever. Uh, I learned who he was uh, and uh, I did a lot of research on him. Uh, nobody's research, frankly, Nick, was as valuable as yours. How did you obtain his now famous Little Black Book? I can't really get into my source on that, but I went down to uh, Florida in 2012, and I was investigating Epstein, and I came out of Florida with his Black Book. And when I looked at the Black Book, I was, I was, it's, it's, it was actually kind of stunning to see all the names in the Black Book. And I know that a number of the people in the Black Book are, are innocent of crimes, but then there's a number of people in the Black Book that are, that are very guilty, too. And what's interesting about the Black Book is every media outlet and magazine has addressed the Black Book ad nauseum. But only one publication has given me credit for putting the Black Book up on the internet. Only one, and that was Vanity Fair. And I find it amazing that these media outlets have really shut me out. I was going to be on CNN last night because of these names that were coming out. And then they pulled me a couple of hours before, they canceled me a couple of hours before airtime. So it's kind of amazing how the mainstream media has really pushed me out of this. And I think the reason is because I, I'm screaming for justice, A, and plus I know exactly what Jeffrey Epstein is. And I know exactly what Jeffrey Epstein is about. And I know that it's an intelligence operation. And that type of intelligence operation has to stop at this point. And I think this is going to be the best opportunity in our lifetimes to stop this type of thing. And 
the very powerful thing about Jeffrey Epstein now, because of the media polarization, the left thinks the right is crazy and the right thinks the left is crazy. There's only one issue that I think that can bring us together, and that is that the government shouldn't aid and abet child trafficking and that child molesters should be put into prison. And I think that that is the only issue that can unite the right and the left, something that we can all agree upon. So I think that the government is very worried about that, uh, that if, if the left and the right united on this particular issue, there would be a house claim for sure. Well, as you know, President Donald Trump appointed a task force and opened an office to specifically deal with the issue of child sex trafficking. One of the first things uh, President Joe Biden did upon taking office was to close it down. Uh, liberal elites keep insisting uh, there is no child sex trafficking. This is a this is a conspiracy theory of the uh, of the uh, of the, the the fever swamps of the far right. Uh, you you're not a conservative. You're not a partisan. You're an investigative journalist. I've used respect for you because you just kind of go where the facts are. And uh, let me just say this: you're much better off on the Stone Zone on LFA than you are on CNN because we won't censor anything you want to say on this show. We won't censor anything you have to say whatsoever. The level of censorship uh, that is still going on on Facebook, uh, on Instagram, uh, on TikTok, certainly, uh, 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 on uh, uh, all basically every platform with the exception of X, formerly known as Twitter, where there is uh, still, I think, some level of censorship, but by and large, it really has become an extraordinary platform for free speech. Uh, if I had posted about Jeffrey Epstein uh, in uh, 2016, uh, I would have been canceled. Oh, wait a minute. I was banned for life. I just remembered. <laughs> it's interesting. YouTube has taken episodes of my podcast down. And my podcast isn't that big, but yet YouTube is nonetheless taking episodes down. So, and that's the kind of censorship that we're dealing with. And they're not going to give me a reason why. They didn't give us a reason why they took down that episode. And it was an episode about child trafficking, a group called The Finders, uh, that was busted with the, uh, six children in Tallahassee, Florida. And the CIA quashed the investigation. And, and there, we have U.S. Customs, a U.S. Customs report on that particular investigation. And that's what got me into the Franklin scandal. I, I was, I came across that document of this weird cult that two guys were arraigned on multiple counts, multiple counts of child abuse. And a search warrant was executed against the, at the cult's warehouse uh, in Washington, D.C. by the U.S. Customs Agency and also by the D.C. police. And they came across all kinds of stuff, including child pornography. And the CIA quashed that case. So I had a podcast about that and my podcast got quashed. But that's what got me into the Franklin scandal. I read that. I came across that U.S. Customs report and I was stunned. I, that did not fit into my worldview. It just didn't compute. And I, I kind of thought I had the world figured out. And then that document hit me. And, and that ultimately led to what I've been doing the last 21 years uh, of investigating and writing about child trafficking.
the Franklin scandal is, is almost unknown to people. When I try to explain it to them, they really don't believe it. Uh, but let, let's, let's try to summarize this for folks if we can. Uh, there was a charismatic figure uh, who was active in the Republican Party named Larry King uh, in Nebraska, who had uh, access to Boys Town, who appears to have been trafficking both uh, male and female children uh, to power brokers at both the state and the federal level. Uh, and uh, the cover-up of, of the Franklin scandal uh, included a number of murders, actually. Uh, Nick Bryan's book, you see it on the screen there, The Franklin Scandal, you can find it online. It's there on Amazon. This is a breathtaking book, folks. I really strongly recommend it to you. This was, once again, a bipartisan scandal. Uh, Larry King was was providing underage children for sexual exploitation to both Republicans and Democrats at the highest level. Uh, my book, The Bush Crime Family, uh, with attribution, relies heavily on a lot of the basic research uh, done by uh, Nick Bryan. So let me urge you to grab that book. Uh, Nick was an interesting play character in the Franklin scandal. His name was Craig Spence, and he owned a, uh, he had lived in a mansion in Washington, D.C., and he was a CIA asset, and Epstein, all of his homes were wired for audiovisual blackmail, and Craig Spence's home was wired for audiovisual blackmail. And a lot of the pedophilic parties, King and Spence were basically, uh, Lawrence King and uh, Craig Spence were basically partners in pedophilic pandering and blackmail. And three grand juries were used to cover up the Franklin Network. And one grand jury was used to cover up the Epstein Network. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with how grand juries work, but a special prosecutor is chosen to preside over a grand jury. And grand jurors are just people that have shown up for jury duty and been funneled to a grand jury. And the special prosecutor presents to them evidence that he deems necessary or uh, or, or important for, for indictments. So there's it's not adversarial. And there was a New York Supreme Court judge that said special prosecutors of grand juries have so much power that they could get the uh, grand jurors to indict a ham sandwich. And we saw that you were talking about the grand jury in the Epstein case. The uh, Palm Beach Police Department had the statements of five girls, and then they had corroborating statements. But then they were aware of 27 other or 20, 17 other underage girls. Um, so ultimately, the Palm Beach Police Department was aware of 23 minors. And uh, Kirshner, the prosecutor that you were talking about, he called one minor. He could have called 23 minors. He called one minor and he skewered her before those grand jurors. That's why they didn't get an indictment. Now, the exact same thing happened with those Franklin grand juries. There were two of them in Nebraska, and they ended up indicting the victims that wouldn't recant their abuse, which I just find mind-boggling. And then there was a grand jury in Washington, D.C. to cover up Spence's activities. So the Franklin network was so big that it required three grand juries to cover up, and uh, Epstein's network required one. Yeah, the Franklin scandal is something people uh, need to read about. Uh, the Washington Times uh, kind of nibbled around the edges of it, uh, but it was alleged that Larry King 
was providing uh, underage uh, boys and girls for high-level members of the Bush administration under George H.W. Bush, including allegedly George H.W. Bush himself, uh, White House Chief of Staff uh, John Sununu, uh, uh, and others. At least that was the allegation. Uh, you mentioned a woman to me who, uh, because she refused to recant her claims, actually spent jail time uh, in the effort to cover up the Franklin scandal. Tell us about that. It was a young woman. Uh, she'd been trafficked as an adolescent, and her name is Alicia Owen. And she was indicted on 16 counts of perjury uh, by a state grand jury and a federal grand jury. So this girl was 21 years old and she was looking at 200 years in prison and she still refused to recant her abuse. And the authorities really tried to destroy her. They put her in solitary for two years. And a kangaroo court found her guilty of perjury. A state kangaroo court found her guilty of perjury. And ultimately she was sentenced to between nine and 15 years in prison for perjury. And this woman is Alicia Owen, and she's an amazing person. She somehow got through all that. And she basically said, I was abused, and I'm not going to recant my abuse because the FBI came down on a, a number of the victims and really pressured them to recant their abuse. And and here you've got these kids that have been sexually abused and are drug-addled. Uh, it, would, it would be a piece of cake for the FBI to pressure them and, and get them to recant their abuse. And that was, it was very important that that get covered up because if the dominoes had started falling in Nebraska, they would have fallen all the way to the Bush administration. So it was it was imperative that the, the Franklin scandal be covered up like it's imperative that the uh, Epstein scandal be covered up because those dominoes would fall all the way to the Washington, D.C. too. Uh, I've seen various numbers. I'd like to nail this down. I think I established that Donald Trump was uh, never in, at Epstein's Island, never at his home in New York or his home in Paris. Uh, he did visit his home in Palm Beach once. That is reflected in a deposition of Virginia Giuffray, who said that he acted as the perfect gentleman. She did not see him do anything uh, improper. Uh, Trump himself said uh, that he uh, was implored to come to a reception at Epstein's home. Uh, when he arrived, he saw all this young girl, all these young girls in the swimming pool, uh, and he said to his bodyguard, "What a nice guy Jeffrey Epstein is. Look, he lets the neighborhood kids." use his pool. Uh, it was also recorded that he stayed less than 15 minutes because he became uncomfortable with the ratio of older men to younger women. Uh, again, I point out that Trump cut Epstein off prior to Epstein being charged, uh, even in that cleaned up uh, wrist slap in Florida, where the Clintons uh, continued to associate with him and frankly, grift off of him. Uh, I've seen various numbers based on your research, Nick. How many times do you believe uh, Bill Clinton was on uh, Jeffrey Epstein's plane? And how many times do you think he visited the island? I, I can't really give you exact numbers on that uh, because there's different accounts. But he was certainly, I was, in addition to getting the Black Book, I was the first guy to have Passenger Manifest, too. 
and Clinton's name is certainly on a number of those passenger manifests. He did go to Africa, and it was kind of interesting. Epstein used Clinton as bait, essentially, to get a couple of South, uh, a couple of young women from South Africa to be part of his uh, network. And what he did to them, Juliet Bryant, was just uh, was Epstein and Maxwell were vicious to these to these girls, vicious. And uh, and we know that Clinton was on the island, but we don't know how many times. And and that's the thing about a Truth and Reconciliation Commission is that we've got to know these things. We we have to know what politicians were on that island, what politicians molested these girls. Um, and if we don't, as I said earlier, if we don't do that now, I believe that that behavior is just going to continue and our government is going to become more, more perfidious and corrupt. It's at, at this point, we're at, a, I think, a tipping point in the American empire. Uh, and... It's very obvious that our legislators don't really care about what we, what 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 Amer what's happening to Americans. So at this point, we have to do something about it. All right, I think we're going to leave it there. I want to thank uh, investigative journalist uh, Nick Bryant for joining us here on the Stone Zone. Nick has uh, agreed to join me on WABC Radio this Sunday to further break down the truth about uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, Tell us about your upcoming book uh, on Watergate, because this is fascinating to me. I uh, spent a number of years writing a book about Watergate, and I completely overturned the narrative. And Roger knows that Watergate is a bunch of malarkey. I mean, what the, uh, what, what the government and the media sold us about Watergate is, is pure malarkey. And the reporting of Woodward and Bernstein... It's interesting. I catch Woodward and Bernstein telling lies that they don't even need to tell. I mean, we're, we're talking about serial liars. Um, and I really show that Alexander Haig was deep throat and the implications it has. Because Woodward and Haig knew each other when both worked at the Pentagon. And Woodward denied meeting him uh, up until 1973. And I can definitely prove that they met long before 1973. Um, and Nixon, the thing about Nixon is Nixon was a very complex character. He really wanted to, he, he had been a cold warrior and he saw that containment didn't work. And he was offering olive branches to both the Chinese and the Russians. And the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff actually put together an espionage ring against the Nixon administration. Um, to make sure that that uh, they, they wanted to know what Nixon was doing. They, they didn't trust the communists, and then they didn't trust Nixon at all. And Nixon really put the kibosh on the CIA, too. So that espionage ring got outed, but then the CIA started infiltrating the Nixon administration. If you think of the last scene in the movie Scarface with Al Pacino, when that Bolivian drug lord, sends all these assassins to uh, to kill Scarface. I mean, that's what the CIA did, is they just saturated the Nixon administration and ultimately were able to... I, I show that Watergate was premeditated and that also 
the the cops that were that busted the the burglars. I mean, they they were told where to be um, that night so that they could bust the burglars. They had broken in earlier, but the security guard was too cognitively challenged to. I mean, I think that they probably came across the uh, most cognitively challenged security guard of all time at the Watergate. So the book, and I start the book out by saying that more research isn't needed to show that Watergate is a grift. And I did zero original research, but I read a lot of books and a lot of government documentation because I wanted to show that Watergate, we, we know that the books and the material are out there to show that Watergate was a complete sham. And I think that the book, will, it's, a, it's an interesting book and Watergate is very complex. It's a conspiracy within a conspiracy. So I tried to simplify it to the best of my ability. There's been some great books written about Watergate. Roger has written a book about Watergate. Um, and they've all been very complex because there's so many moving parts in Watergate. So my biggest challenge was to make that book as simplistic as possible because there's so much going on with Watergate. And I, I think that I managed to pull that off. At least that's what uh, people have told me that have read the book. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There are multiple agendas all going on at the same time. It's very hard to sort out. There's no political reason for Richard Nixon to want to break into the Democratic National Committee. He's leading overwhelmingly in the polls in 49 states. He's on the cusp of winning the greatest landslide in American political history. Uh, what what intelligence is there that could possibly be at the Democratic National Committee that is worth taking that risk for? To this day, there is no evidence that Richard Nixon knew about or approved the Watergate break-in, but recently declassified documents prove without a doubt that the Central Intelligence Agency was well aware of the plan to break into the Watergate, and they infiltrated the burglar team. I believe as many as four of the Watergate burglars were still actually on the CIA payroll at, at the time of the break-in. Uh, I, I interviewed Eugenio Martinez, still alive in his 90s, living in Miami, uh, who told me that he was still reporting to his handler uh, at the time of the Watergate break-in. Uh, it's also very clear, by the way, that the Watergate special prosecutor was well aware that the CIA was up to their hips uh, in uh, Watergate, as was the Senate Watergate Committee. Uh, Chairman Sam Irvin would never allow the publication of a minority report that would have reflected the Central Intelligence Agency's involvement uh, in Watergate. Uh, and uh, the Watergate special prosecutors, specifically Nick Ackerman, uh, knew about it and did nothing whatsoever about it. So uh, as with the Kennedy assassination, uh, as with the Franklin scandal, uh, the media role in covering up the truth about Watergate uh, has really been astonishing. Uh, Nixon intended uh, to reorganize the government in an effort to take power away from the unelected bureaucrats uh, in the national security apparatus, and that scared the death out of them. Very recently, Nick, you may have heard this, uh, a uh, one of the Watergate tapes uh, was uncovered. It is Richard Nixon at the very beginning of Watergate meeting with CIA Director 
Richard Helms and basically threatening him. Uh, you can very clearly hear when he says in the audio tape, uh, look, uh, you know, things may get bad here. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, there's been a lot of funny business over there, stuff that that was done. Now, you and I both know these things needed to be done. God knows I've helped cover it up. But let me just say it. I there it is, folks. There it is. That is Nixon telling the head of the CIA that he's aware of the Central Intelligence Agency's involvement in the murder of John F. Kennedy. Nixon told me directly that the Warren Commission was, and I quote, the biggest goddamn hoax in American history. Uh, so there's a larger historical context here. Just this past week, I did an hour interview with Jack Posobiec of Human Events, uh, drawing a direct line uh, from the assassination of President John F. Kennedy uh, to the removal of Richard Nixon in a silent coup uh, to the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan, a book that I am working on now, uh, the uh, subsequent attempt to take Reagan out using Iran-Contra, uh, and then on to the two impeachments, well, the Russian collusion hoax, and then the two impeachments of Donald Trump. All of these things sponsored by the same elements of government, the same elements of the deep state or the military industrial complex or the political establishment, call them whatever you want to call them, uh, but uh, there's a direct historical line. All right, we have to move on to a political roundup here. I wanna thank our guest, Nick Bryant, investigative reporter, really the first legitimate reporter in the United States to get onto Epstein's trail. He's done yeoman work on this subject. Let me recommend his book once again, The Franklin Scandal, uh, about uh, an extraordinary, an extraordinary uh, uh, sexual trafficking ring. You can learn more by going to nickbryant.com. Nick, thank you for joining us here on The Stone Zone. Have a great night, Roger. Uh, folks, it's a great opportunity uh, to remind you that we're brought to you by the great people uh, at uh, mypillow.com. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do this broadcast except for the good offices of LFA uh, and uh, MyPillow.com. Now, uh, I have a number of favorite products there. I particularly like, because I'm a dog lover, the MyPillow dog beds. Uh, I also like the MyPillow pet blankets. Those are two of my favorites. But whether it's the all-season moccasin slippers, whether it is uh, the, the uh, six-piece towel set, uh, or the men and women's bathrobes, uh, the elegant throw pillows, uh, the new uh, revolutionary MyPillow 2.0, which has a built-in cooling system. These are all great, great products. Uh, and uh, you help us keep the stone zone on the air. So go to MyPillow.com. Uh, there you see it. Use promo code STONE and God bless you for it. You can also go to one 800 544 8939. Uh, folks, we're just uh, less than two weeks now to the Iowa caucuses. Uh, and because of the scheduling of the presidential selection process within the Republican Party, uh, I suggest that by the time Nevada has its caucuses uh, just a few months uh, from the beginning of the year, uh, we're going to know who the Republican nominee is. Uh, I'm ready to make my prediction. Uh, I believe uh, Donald Trump will win Iowa comfortably. Uh, the media is going to say that he underperformed no matter how big he wins. Uh, key historical fact, 
No one has ever won the Iowa caucuses by more than 12 points. So if Trump wins by a greater margin than 12 points, um, I would call that a huge victory. Uh, but where the media will focus is on who comes in second. Remember, expectations are everything. So uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida has uh, claimed that he will win. Now, I believe winning is defined as coming in first or defined as getting more votes than any other candidate. Uh, if you go by polling alone, and I do study the polls as a political professional, uh, right now, I every poll that I have seen and respect uh, shows that uh, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley uh, has uh, pulled into a distant second position to Donald Trump, but she is currently leading Ron DeSantis, despite the fact DeSantis has spent so much time uh, in Iowa that, well, some here in Florida say that he is derelict uh, in his duties here. Uh, I, I think he set an expectation that he's unlikely to be able to match. Uh, here's my proposed headline that you will see uh, if Nikki Haley does beat Ron DeSantis. The headline will be, Haley beats DeSantis in Iowa upset, subhead, Donald Trump comes in first as expected. So uh, because independents can vote in New Hampshire, uh, Haley is counting on uh, a head of steam going into that primary in an effort to pull those independents into the primary to try to actually challenge Donald Trump. I think that will be extraordinarily difficult uh, to do. Uh, new polls show that Trump's strength in Iowa is reaching an all-time high. Uh, it, it, the intensity of his support is really uh, mind-boggling as someone who has studied polls for some time. So uh, let me uh, say that I'm predicting today uh, that Haley does, on the basis of massive uh, cable television, broadcast television, uh, and digital advertising, uh, that she may win. Uh, but for those who are out pushing this notion of a Trump-Haley ticket, I can tell you I've talked directly to President Trump about this. He has no such current plan. Uh, he's not ruling anything out, but they are so diametrically opposed, particularly in their foreign policy outlook. Uh, but there is, in, in my opinion, uh, no future for this notion. Uh, and it's uh, important to point out that this whole meme of, oh, there's going to be a Trump-Haley ticket, this is being pushed by who? The supporters of Ron DeSantis. Uh, I don't see it happening, folks. So uh, thank you very much for joining us here uh, at the Stone Zone. We'll be back tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, uh, where we're going to talk about what really happened on 9-11. In the meantime, God bless you and Godspeed. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics, and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. Where's Roger? <laughs>